You can sit right on the other side of the door. I'll be right in here. You'll be able to hear my voice. But I see you. Oh, fuck me. I can't come with you, okay? Can't leave the door open, honey. Gotta have the door closed. I have to close it, okay? Do you have a long piece of string that she can hold that you can wire under the door so she can tug on it and you can tug back? Are you fucking... What? An old British nanny? What? <laughs> what kind Sounds of idea? That's like a precious idea. Do it. So you can't come in here, but if you get scared, you can pull on it, and I'll pull back, and you'll know I'm right here. Blah, blah, blah. God, am I an old British? Where did that come from? Yeah, that would. Did you make that up? Yeah. Gonna stress it. Not gonna sweat it. Okay. Not gonna freak out. We don't, we don't have time for this bullshit. Welcome to fucking SVU Pod, <laughs> especially heinous. It's season three, episode twenty-three. Fucking silence. Woof. Opening scene. It's in a Catholic church. A young priest walks from the back of the church to the front of the altar. He gets on his knees and does the Trinity hand motion prayer thing. This fucking dude. Yeah, I've seen him in a million things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name is Eric Stoltz. I immediately recognized him because the movie The Butterfly Effect made me see his face whenever I think of terrible crimes against children. He plays Amy Smart's fucking creepy drunk dad with a video camera in the basement in that movie. I don't remember. I immediately was like, ugh. He also plays Lance in Pulp Fiction, John Travolta's drug dealer who brings Uma Thurman back from her OD. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, so those are the two things that I'm like, I know your face, I know who you are. Also, when I was looking at the credits, I saw that he was the narrator for the movie that I just talked about last week, Our Boys, Outrage at Glendale. He narrated that movie. I just think that's a weird connection since we just talked about it. Interesting. About those little football playing rapist fucks. Yeah. Anyway, push all that aside because right now in this priest fucking get up, he looks like rickety fucking cricket. So. Oh my God, I was just going to fucking say that. (laughs) I I was just going to say he reminds me of rickety fucking cricket. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I, I, I watched like so many fucking, it's always sunny in Colorado that I, at oh, one yeah. point, it was like, man, they really fucked him over. Yeah, Gabe. Because Mac was like, <laughs> Mac was like, hey, Rickety Crick. <laughs> I love how that's your man. They really fucked him over. Yes, they destroyed his life. The whole show is about how they're awful people. <laughs> yeah, that was the reaction to that Ben had. He was like, yeah, <laughs> you know. Okay, he hears some clattering and this music starts to swell. Mm-hmm. He walks around the corner to see a confessional burned up, which to me was really weird because I'm like, did you not smell that? <gasps> that's what I thought you too. Know? Yeah, I was. I was. He walked around like he was just heading through the church and then he's like mm-hmm. wait a minute there's been an entire refrigerator size thing burned to a crisp around the corner i would smell it if somebody lit a match in the other room you know what i mean yeah i know and he didn't sniff anything he heard clattering he, and then he was like oh my god there was an entire fucking fire in here <laughs> so and then he trips over a woman covered in a sort of catholic shroud with candles lit by their head mm-hmm. and the priest is like oh my god what the fuck right fast forward fire trucks and the police are outside toots tells benson stabler that the victim was sodomized and murdered there's no id the priest father michael sweeney found the victim toots also says that the priest came in early and found her along with a bunch of other shit like the torch confessional and how the perp laid out the victim. Mm-hmm. They found that the perp got in through the side door that Father Michael says he leaves unlocked sometimes. Stabler kneels at the altar and does the father-son Holy Ghost thing. He notices that the priest is in the corner. At the body, Munch says, the person, ugh, panties are gone. And I'm like, gross, I fucking hate you. You definitely are a pile of rats, Munch. You're fucking Bruno. I hate you. 
Then fucking Toots lifts up the shroud and says, quote, the stem's still on the apple. And then Stabler says, quote, tranny. Mm. And Munch says, our Jane Doe is a John. And I'm already like fucking furious. Four seconds into this fucking episode. And it's like, I know it's 2002, but like fucking gross. Not even just that. And everyone had to get their own little fucking thing in. That's what my takeaway from this moment when they do that is one, fucking gross. And two, Mm -hmm. so much for treating a victim with any fucking dignity. Like, why are Mm -hmm. you making quips at the expense of a victim's dead body? Yeah. Benson thinks that she has sex worker makeup on, which... Okay. Yeah. I was like, don't we all? I'm wearing sex worker makeup right now. That is literally my aesthetic. (laughs) All right. uh, So, and Toots agrees with Benson because of the way she is dressed. So, yes, this is where I make a solid note. Toots refers to her as him, which I will Mm -hmm. not be doing. And I saw later in Gabe's notes, she said the same thing. So this trans woman is a trans woman, female presenting trans person. Mm -hmm. So we we can get mad every fucking time they engage with Mm -hmm. each other in talking about this victim because they constantly refer Mm -hmm. to her as him. And that is that just. Yeah. Like literally two, like two sentences down i go on a thing about that yeah, yeah. the least you can do the least you yeah, can do the very fucking right. least yeah um okay stabler calls him over to the burned up confessional and thinks that the perp left a message carved into the side of it is the word pecavisti pecavisti munch wonders if all the rituals indicates an evolved serial killer and benson thinks that they should run this all by vicap just as the priest is leaving the room stabler calls him and asks him what pecavisti means he says that it means quote i have sinned the way he's interacting here strikes me not as the perp but as someone who's going to withhold information and then get slightly Mm -hmm. nudged later and spill the beans entirely right yeah but like hey why'd you lie to us okay fine and then they tell yeah. you everything. <laughs> so Benson fucking says, quote, have you seen this boy, father? And I'm already fucking going blind from eye rolling. And the priest says he's never seen her before. And this is where I'm like, I'm, I'm using the she, her pronouns, period. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Stabler wants the priest to come to the precinct to make a statement. And he agrees. Also, to the left of the screen is this fucking cutie with long hair. I think I, he, he was he was like a forensic guy. And they like talked oh, him for I a second. See- he was adorbs. Him. Anyways, Benson is spitballing what happened and says that the perp meets the victim. The perp maybe doesn't know the victim is trans. Toots says that if the perp didn't know, it would be enough to set him off. And I'm like, calm down. But also... But fucking men. <laughs> toxic masculinity, the patriarchy. Okay. For sure. For sure. What I think he was saying there, though, and what I want to make sure to note is trans people are four times more likely to be victims mm-hmm. of a violent crime. So yeah. I think maybe that's what he was saying. He doesn't always hit the nail on the head with like the best tact you know none of them fucking do munch and toots worst partners when it comes to tact (laughs) right although separately sometimes they are great at it one-on-one it's fucking weird munch get back in the walls (laughs) (laughs) we don't talk about munch so the perp and victim come in to do some sex worker stuff and and the perp sodomizes and kills the victim Mm -hmm. decorates the body and gives the vic a kind of funeral pyre toots wants to know why all the trouble and stabler says that the perp did this because they're in a church the perp feels guilty tells god he's sorry and then tries to burn away the sin then the camera slowly pans to stabler in fucking distant profile no less like the the whole time he's saying this it's like so goddamn dramatic yeah this is letting us know that not only is stabler the most fatherly of fathers he's also the most catholicly of catholics i guess (laughs) yeah 
this is going to be another fucking Stabler's needy ass episode eye roll. Right. Theme song. We're in the Emmy office. Corner Warner tells Benson Stabler that there are some bruising to the thighs and some anal tears, but it doesn't necessarily mean it was violent. The cause of death is a massive hemorrhage from a skull fracture. Their murder weapon was caused by something round like a metal bar or a flashlight, and it was blunt trauma to the temple. The victim probably cracked their skull on the floor. Corner Warner found DNA from the perp and is running it now. They can't get prints off the body because the perp was wearing surgical gloves. They found traces of latex powder, and it's really weird that the perp was wearing no condoms but was wearing gloves. Right? Yeah. Corner Warner says, quote, if you think that's weird, I found traces of sodium dichlorzenitrione or something. <laughs> Dioclorzit, whatever, inside of the Vic. It's the main cleaning agent in scouring powder. Ugh. The perp used both to scrub the Vic's penis so she's really clean. Yeah. It's fucking gross. And like heartbreaking to think about. In the conference room, Father probably guilty Sweeney (laughs) is telling Benson and Sailor that he found the body preparing for 6 a.m. mass. The father says, quote, nothing like a hit of God before you do battle on Wall Street. Benson tells him that it seems like a rough area for him to leave the side door unlocked. Father Michael says that the church is supposed to be a refuge. Mm-hmm. The father wasn't surprised that the Vic was trans because he says he's seen everything. Okay, whatever. Well, because they mentioned like, yeah, your feathers didn't seem ruffled that this victim was trans. And he's like, I see a lot of stuff yeah, in, and like, in the neighborhood. So it's not. And like, should I be? Like, right. Like, father knows that there is someone in the trenches who might have known the Vic was a trans woman. Now we're at. Yes. This is. Okay. I, I love Sister Peg. Okay. I know. This is her first appearance. Sister Peg's mobile help unit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Munch and Toots are talking to Sister Peg. She's an on and off character throughout many seasons of SVU up until season 12. This is actor Charlene Woodard. Not only mm-hmm. is she fucking Sister Peg, an iconic reoccurring character in this universe, she is in some awesome shit. She was in Unbreakable. Why have I seen that movie so many fucking times? I don't know, but it's incredible. I love that movie. Unbreakable. The Leftovers, Sneaky Pete, which I loved. She was in Pose. She was in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm-hmm. So Sister Peg recognizes the victim. She calls her Jamie. She says that the Vic's given name was James Doyle and they are 16 years old. Her dead name, yeah. I, but see, that we don't know. know Jamie's story. That's true. And that's well, Jamie's call. That's, right. that's true. You know, I don't know. Just, just highlight the fact that it is only the person's call like if they are true trans yeah. cis whatever the fuck non-binary like, or yeah doesn't matter so jamie ran away from home when their parents tried to lock them in a treatment center she's been coming down for about four or five months trying to earn enough money for gender affirming surgery she says that trans people make a lot of money in sex work down here munch is curious as to why jamie ended up at saint martha's church and sister peg says that father michael always leaves the side door open for sex workers when it's cold and wet but that they know not to do business there toots wants to know what father michael's like and she says that father michael's a good priest and a good man and she wants to know more information about who could have done this so she can warn other people on the streets Mm -hmm. toots tells her that the perp was very particular about his hygiene and that's kind of all the information he gives one of the reasons why i always why i love her is that on her little thing it's like oh god loves you whatever but it's like condoms needles like Mm -hmm. because you know how a lot of time when religion is involved with charity it can be we have you know we want to help under certain conditions yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And so I like that this woman is like, I'm helping, period. Yeah. I'm a nun and I'm helping, period. In the squad room, Cragen says that Vicap can't find any direct matches for this particular MO. The only thing that came up was that a man had murdered his wife in a church where he and his wife were married, but he's on death row, so that guy had nothing to do with it. So I don't know why they even fucking brought it up. Mm-hmm. 
Craigan's going to ask Vicap to widen the search to crimes against trans people. Um, duh. Munch mm-hmm. gets off the phone and says that Coroner Warner got a DNA match to a Mr. Gus Yoder. He was just paroled and spent four years in Attica for arson. Interesting. Mm-hmm. In the car wash, Tasha shits her pants and then... <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> that was a, that's on the patreon yeah i know i know that isn't for I, everybody to fucking know i just listened to it <laughs> okay we're in the car wash go ahead now we're in the car wash munch and toots walk up to gus yoder he's working on a car and they just yank him out and ask him what his relationship with jamie doyle is he says he doesn't know that name and he does not want to be touched right he says he'll go wherever they want just don't fucking touch him so munch and toots have gus in an interrogation room and they're asking him a bunch of questions about jamie and why he didn't use a condom they want to know why his dna was inside of jamie and he says he's like i didn't touch jamie munch and toots are yelling at him and saying that he probably thought that jamie was quote a cute little trick and then found out she had a dick and flipped out their fucking word right and you know what she's and hers can have dicks yeah okay munch wants gus to sit down but he won't he's like that chair is disgusting who knows how many people have farted on there or whatever (laughs) and this dude is like a total germaphobe yeah he wants to go home he can't deal with all of these germs munch forces him to sit down and toots gets in his face gus is like i want to go home and toots says is that where we're gonna find jamie's purse gus admits that he picked up jamie and had sex but she was alive when she got out of the car Mm -hmm. on the other side of the glass in Craigan's haunted castle (laughs) (laughs) there are ghosts in there but they look like little round balloons and only fly at you if you turn around so we're fine yeah Craigan says he tightens his sphincter anymore and he's gonna implode he's like okay dad jeez wong is there thank fucking god and says that gus is ocd and probably washes his hands 50 times a day huang wants to look at the crime scene to see what he can see right in the squad room huang is looking at all the notes and pictures of the crime scene there's a rosary around jamie's neck but it wasn't hers it was from one of the statues in the church huang doesn't think it was yoder he says that yoder wouldn't touch blood or go near a dead body mm-hmm. but this dude had unprotected sex with jamie though so that's like well yeah because he's like well Okay, so he's going to wear gloves and be really concerned about his... Like germs and stuff? The germs and then not protect his penis when he's having sex. Like Yeah, yeah. And then Huang was like, well, that's why he gets as far away as possible afterwards. Like, he feels dirty. Huang sees the carving of Pekka Visti and he was like, no, the priest is wrong. I have sinned as Pekavi in Italian. Huang says that the, the carving isn't a confession. It's an accusation. Pekavisti means you have sinned. Wong thinks this is an act of rage against the church and the priest, possibly. Mm-hmm. I love that state. Was it Stabes who was like, because Wong's like, Pekavisti? Stabes like, yeah, it means I have sinned. He's like, who the fuck told you that? He's like, the priest himself. Wong's like, well, I'm smarter, so. <laughs> yeah. And Munch is like, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't tell you guys, but I, I knew that. Yeah, where the fuck was Munch on that one? Anyway. Yeah, right? Yeah. Huang thinks that Jamie's death could be an accident. Like, all the staging was done post-mortem. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's just spitballing here. The perp was maybe attacking the priest, and Jamie got in the way, taking cover in the church. Right. If the perp has a grudge against Father Michael, Father Michael probably knows the perp. Mm-hmm. Craigan wants a background check on Father Michael. In the squad room, the whole gang's on the phone. They're all on one gigantic phone, and they're all talking at the same time. And they're they're all in bed together, and they all have their feet (laughs) kicking up in the air. (laughs) 
<laughs> they, yeah, they're all at their desks. They're on different phone calls. So Father Michael used to teach at East St. Thomas's in Hoboken and then left abruptly in 1996. And then I'm like, hmm, I wonder fucking why. Hmm. Hmm, what could it possibly be? The secretary didn't know for sure, but rumors were going around that Father Michael abused some boys and was removed. It never went to trial and it never was reported. And that shit is exactly what the whole chaser is about. And it is ridiculous. Cragen sends Benny and Stapes to talk to Father Michael and is going to send Munch and Toots to Hoboken. Daddy Craigs wants Stabler to let him know if this shit is a problem for Stabler because he's a super Catholic. Mm-hmm. Stabler seems kind of mad because he thinks that he's a good Catholic and tries to raise his kids Catholic. And if he can't get a read on the priest, how could a 14-year-old or an mm-hmm. eight-year-old? And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God, is Stabes going to fuck up a priest? Yeah. 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 He does not like uh, child molest. I mean, who does? <laughs> Never mind. Just, hot take. <laughs> hot take. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> So Benson and Stabler walk into the church. Father Michael is scrubbing some of the blood off the floor still. Stabler asks him why he lied about the message on the confessional. Father Mike was like, mm, I'm never really good at Latin. And then Stabler says, maybe you're the sinner. And then Father Mike says, well, everyone's a sinner. Father Mike says the night of the murder, he was with a parishioner helping them through a midnight crisis. Benson and Stabler want names, but he can't. They tell him that they know about the rumors about St. Thomas and the child abuse. They want to know what happened or they're just going to get it from the Hoboken cops. He says he signed a confidentiality agreement. Those don't hold up in court. He's like, fucking charge me with something or leave because mass starts in 20 minis and I got to wear some fucking window drapes. (laughs) Munch and Toots are in Hoboken at a detective's house. He looks familiar. I fucking love him. This is Detective Jimmy Moresco. Okay, Mm -hmm. this is a guess because then I deep dove on him a little bit. This is a guess, but I think you recognize him. I really hope I'm right. From the 90s show, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. (gasps) Yes. God, I love that show. His name is Hardy Rawls. Of course it is. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Another big thing he was in was Cape Fear. And I love that he had a tiny, tiny role in the Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder movie, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Do you remember I fucking love that movie. Same. I love that movie. Yes. Nobody ever talks about, when they talk about Gene Wilder movies, they're always like, oh, fucking, uh, not Brokeback Mountain, um, (laughs) Blazing Saddles. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great buddy comedy, iconic fucking Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder have such amazing chemistry together. It's like glossed over. It's like one of the movies that's just like, yeah. So Hardy Rawls was in that movie. Very small role. He is credited as beefy tourist. Fuck yeah. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So here he is Detective Jimmy Moresco. So he says he got the St. Thomas's case not from the school, but from the ER. A kid fell off his bike and the doctor found bruising around his butt. The parents are super clean, so he digs a little deeper into St. Thomas's and found four more boys who say they were molested. The stories varied and nobody would give a name. Just as he was getting close to figuring it all out, the church steps in and settles with each boy's family, 200K each. He tried to get the families to talk, but they wouldn't, so there was no case and no complaining witnesses. There was nothing he could do because they were kind of pushing him like why didn't you do this and he's like i fucking did yeah i'm a good cop damn it in the squad room munch and toots are looking through all of moresco's case files he took a ton of notes but a report was never filed benson was on the phone with the alumni office of saint thomas one of the boys moved to europe two of them are still in the area todd ramsey and ben campion work three (laughs) blocks from father michael's church and i was like three blocks nice try benny yes (laughs) nice nice fucking try she's like they work three blocks minus one to (laughs) father michael's church (laughs) Three blocks, so they're in New Jersey. Right. (laughs) 
Benson and Stabler are going to talk to Campion, and Munch and Toots will talk to Ramsey. There's one other kid, Bobby Douglas, but they couldn't find him because this dude severed all ties after he left the school. At the Columbus Avenue Youth Center, Ben Campion tells Benson and Stabler that he was at home the night of the murder. This guy has a great fucking Southie accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. I really hope that he did vocal coaching for everybody in The Departed. (laughs) Benny and Stabes are talking to Ben Campion. They want to talk to him about St. Tom's and his allegations against the priest. They asked if Father Michael was the one who abused him at St. Thomas's. And he's like, no way. Father Mike is the one that hired him after college to run the youth center. He insists that Father Michael never touched him and wouldn't hurt any of the kids at the center and doesn't even come around anymore. He seems extremely protective of Father Michael. So this could go Mm. either way for me. Yeah. It's like, are you protective because you're like groomed or are you protective because it really didn't happen? Yeah. Munch and Toots are at Ramsey's apartment. They stop him as he's leaving his house with his wife and kid. They ask him about Father Michael at school when he was a kid. He says he doesn't talk to him now and won't say any more because of the confidentiality agreement. He says, forget it. So a pervy priest put his hands on my ass. I'm not going to let it ruin my life. I was like, shit. He said he was home that night with his wife and kid when Jamie was murdered. They asked him if he knows Bobby Douglas. He says he hasn't talked to him in a couple of years because he was weirding him out. So they ask him where he lives. Munch and Toots are at the Chelsea Soup Kitchen. They find Bobby Douglas. He's a priest. This is actor Sean Dugan. He is another Oz alum. God, they're all there. Oz, Oz, Oz. They were all in Oz. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Bobby Douglas says that Father Michael, quote, sounds familiar. And I'm like, okay, it's like very early in the episode, but I'm sure this guy did it. (laughs) He knows Latin. (laughs) He's a priest. Like, totally. What are my notes? Fuck. So this guy, Bobby Douglas, is at the Chelsea Soup Kitchen, full priest gear. He's got the collar, Mm. everything. So he's there, like, prophetizing shit. Yeah. Toots tells him they know about the check for 200K when he was a kid. And Bobby's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to talk about it. Latin is required at seminary, so they ask him what peccavisti means. He says he doesn't remember. He's getting kind of choked up and nervous. They ask him where he was on Monday, the night of the murder. He says he was studying. They show a picture of Jamie, the murdered woman, and he freaks out and says, I could have been a good priest, but he ruined me. Father Michael took away my life. I had to expose him. He admitted he started the confessional on a fire at Father Michael's church. I was like, oh. Okay. At Bobby's house, everyone's there. Bobby's mom says that Bobby was at the homeless shelter all night on Monday. She's super confused. Like, what are you guys doing here? Mm-hmm. They have a warrant to search Bobby's room. And she said Bobby wouldn't do anything wrong. They asked her about the night in question. And she says that he came home on Monday night after midnight. She woke up and heard him on the phone, but she didn't know who he was talking to. But at 3 a.m., she woke up again and heard voices. She went downstairs and it was Father Michael. Yeah, she was like, it was only Father Michael. And I was like, um, what? Apparently, apparently Father Michael. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Father Michael comes around a lot, especially with Bobby trying to get into seminary. And they're like, uh? Because he's not a priest. He hasn't yeah. even been accepted into seminary. And then all of a sudden, Toots finds something. Oh, shit. In Bobby's room, <laughs> there's all kinds of priest shit. Jamie's purse is in there. So that clears Yoder. He's the germaphobe guy that had sex with Jamie. Yeah. Also, yeah. when they were like, oh, yeah, this other guy didn't do it. Benson calls him Mr. Freaky Clean Yoder, which I hate. I know. Okay, just this is just a tiny little... You know what? I'm not going to apologize for being on a soapbox about shit. It's small potatoes compared to the slew of bigoted terminology you 
use for Jamie, but trivializing mm-hmm. mental illness is gross. Yeah. And this dude clearly suffered with some serious OCD, which is fucking debilitating. I don't yeah. like these things either. These comments are not lost on like the way things have changed. Right. Toots found a flashlight. They luminaled it. So then we, when we looked at it under the light, you could see that it had blood and skin on it. Oh. And they were like, is this a murder weapon? Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, Bobby, Benny, and Stabes are in an interrogation room. They show Bobby photos of Jamie dead in the church. They mm-hmm. tell him that he killed her with the flashlight, but showed her respect by covering her up with the shroud and candles. They then asked if he confessed to Father Michael. Is that why Father Michael was at your house? And Bobby's like, that's between me and God. Bobby tells them that he had done his penance and was forgiven. And Stabler's like, oh yeah? Did you ask Jamie Doyle's parents for forgiveness? Bobby thinks it's too difficult to face them. Mm-hmm. He says he had already started the fire and didn't know Jamie was there. Jamie came up behind him and startled him. So Bobby swings the flashlight and Jamie went down, blood's pouring out of her head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden, Roger Kressler wiggles into the room. Now this is rest in peace, right? Fucking yeah. Yeah. Yep. He died on the 27th. Rest in peace, Ned Eisenberg. Rest in peace, but like after this episode, I'm still going to be talking about how smarmy he is because they just cast him real well. Okay. We love, love, love to hate him as Roger Kressler. Yep. And he was doing this role on purpose. Yeah. And he killed it. And he fucking crushed it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he died at 65. That is so young. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, love him. He wiggles his fucking smarmy ass into the room and says, this interview's over. Bobby's Mm -hmm. mom called Kressler to come and run interference. Even Mm -hmm. though Bobby just gave them a confession, it's not in writing and they won't get it until Kressler gets to talk terms with the ADA. Now we're having a precinct walk and talk with Cabot, dumb lawyer, and Cragen. She means Kressler. Yeah. Cabot does not want to make a deal. She has the confession and murder weapon. Moida weapon. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) she has the confession and the murder weapon with Bobby's prints all over it. Smarmfest lawyer says that Bobby is a victim of abuse working out his rage against the church that ruined his life. But Jamie wasn't part of that church. You know, she was an innocent victim. This fucking piece of shit fucking yeah. lawyer says, quote, he was a transvestite hooker fresh from a trick. Fuck you. Like, their lives don't matter at all. It's still fucking, oh my God. No matter what anybody, oh my God, I can't, okay. He just, he was just like, are we all saying fucked up shit? They're all fucking bigot high-fiving yeah. each other. Bobby killed Jamie, a 16-year-old trans girl who caught him trying to burn down a church. Mm-hmm. Cabot's like, I can try that in my fucking sleep. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Shit lawyer says, quote, the second a jury hears priest and abuse, whose side do you think they'll be on? Mm -hmm. Cabot offers man to eight to 10 years. Shit lawyer says man to five years probation with psych treatment. Cabot fires back man to five years in Kirby psychiatric. And that depends on what Bobby tells them. Mm -mm -mm. Cabot, Kressler and Bobby are in the interrogation room. Bobby's telling them all what happened when he was a kid in school at St. Tom's. He says there was a room in the basement where they stored sports equipment. First of all, I hate this already. This reminds me of that Kevin Bacon movie, like the first child molester movie he was in before The Woodsman. He what was in was a, that? I don't know. He was like a person that watched kids that were in like juvie or something. And they just like molest. I can't remember what it's called. It's something with an S. It's fucked up. No idea. Bobby says that... Father Michael called it, quote, the lair. And the boys went, quote, in as lambs and came out lions. Ugh. 
Father Michael called Bobby in after practice for extra tutoring. Benson, Stabler, and Craig are listening on the other side of the glass. I'm assuming you kept a fun name out of it because of the nature of the conversation yeah, I that was they're like, listening nope. to. I'm yeah, like, not, I'm not doing that. Like it cut to them and I'm just like, oh my God, what fucked up? Ru- oh, okay. Yeah. We're no. going to be just... Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. Not They're not in any kind of fun room. Craig knows when a joke is appropriate and it's not during this mm. conversation. Yeah. Craig is not saying it. He's not like, welcome to my. <laughs> yeah, <house."> he is. <laughs> You're getting this directly fucking wired in. You have an earpiece in. Dan Florex on the other side. <laughs> and he's like, underground tunnel. This is my underground tunnel. It's my mind shaft. Ew. Mm, yeah, like that. <laughs> that sounds weird. It's my um, Six Flags Great America. So I hate the word shaft. No, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Bobby says that Father Michael showed him videos of sports, then all sorts of porn, some with women, some with boys. Boys, they're child abuse images, okay? It's not porn. It's child abuse images. Mm-hmm. Father Michael told Bobby not to be embarrassed and how he felt was totally normal. Cabot asked Bobby if Father Michael touched him. He says yes, and that Bobby was 14. Father Michael told Bobby he had to pass a test. Bobby is getting really upset now, and he says the test was that he had to masturbate, and Father Michael said he'd help him, which is super gross. Yeah. Then Bobby had to help Father Michael. Afterwards, Father Michael said Bobby had done well and, quote, made a mark in heaven. Mm. I fucking hate when yeah. people use their power, fucking ugh. At the church, Benson and Stabler and some cops roll up and are about to walk in when a lawyer named Roy O'Halloran <laughs> stops them guy. and calls them over. What? Just this fucking guy in his last name. and Roy O'Halloran? Yeah. I know. I, 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 ch- I think I changed it a bunch. I don't know if I should have or not, but. You didn't at first. I was like, no, but then I hated him after a while, so I joined in. This lawyer named Roy O'Halloran stops <laughs> in and calls him over. He represents the diocese. Benson tells him that they have a warrant and he knows they do but they would just like a word and Rory directs them to Bishop Mallinson. Mm -hmm. Stabler reaches out his hand and says, your grace, can we help you? And Benz is kind of like, what the fuck? But also at the same time, Stabler, he's really trying to keep his feet in two separate worlds. It's probably better to go at these people that way than be like, hey, fucker, did you touch some, you know? Yeah, like Benson's probably just like, oh yeah, we're obviously gonna do Catholic cop, single woman in the city, harlot cop. Tomato clutch and slut. (laughs) (laughs) Tomato clutch and slut. (laughs) (laughs) Get those walleye wigglers off my... Off my maters. <laughs> you, know, you know what? what? Oh, man. Just when you think there's not a new thing. It's just like there's no new things. You're not going to think of a new thing. No new insults. No new anything. To, no one has ever been called a tomato clutch and slut in their lives. And I love you. I love you so much. And I you. Oh, okay. Anyway, so... This tomato clutch and slut tells them that they have a reason to believe Father Michael has participated in child abuse. Fucking Bishop Mallinson says that he thinks them having a warrant for the rectory is dumb and they should be more concerned with Bobby Douglas and his vendetta against Father Michael. They tell Benny and Staves that Father Michael prevented Bobby from joining the priesthood and Bobby only accused Father Michael of abuse as revenge. Bishop says that the fatherhood is under siege. Mm-hmm. You know who's really victimized? 
The molesters. The bishop believes Father Michael is innocent, and he himself would have turned him in if something was weird. Mm-hmm. Sure, Jan. Stabler right. says, I'm sorry, Your Grace, but we need to execute the warrant. Yeah, and I want to like rant about the government and religious affiliations and ties and how everything sucks, and I hate it. Yeah, I really think this moment, though, is more about Stabler's personal conflict between his duties as a detective and his allegiance to the church. It's like I said, like his feet are in two different worlds, you know? know and it's but like so many laws are based on religious stuff. Oh, yeah. Like there's so so many religious advisors. And I don't like that in the government. Have your beliefs and do the stuff you want to do. But it should never be made into laws that affect everybody. I can't. Yeah, I super duper agree. And you should not have religious advisors if you're in the government. When I was doing the research for the chaser, like how much what is the word I'm looking for? How how much like governing autonomy that the church has is Mm -hmm. so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. It's so fucked up. Benson and Stabler walk into the rectory with a CSU guy to do the search. Stabler wants the dude to take the rectory computer to the lab. All the VHS tapes are labeled as if they're sports related, but Stabes wants to bag it all up anyway. Because, I I mean, I know we're talking VHSs, but let's hop in my time machine. All you got to do is put a tiny little piece of scotch tape over that tab and you can record whatever you want on that shit. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. (laughs) Everybody knows that. Everybody over 30 knows that. 30? I think everybody over like 35 maybe knows 35? that. 35? Oh, yeah. Shit. Okay. Benson finds some VHS tapes behind the sports one, and one is labeled MS April 2001. That's around when Father Michael left the youth center. I hate it. I hate this. Fuck this. In the squad room, Benson, Stablin, and Craig are watching the videotape. The camera is pointed at Father Michael, and he's being asked several questions. Some of the questions are, quote, are you attracted to boys? Father Michael answers, yes, 13 to 14 years old. So this is like a therapy session or something. Yeah, whoever's asking him these questions is off camera. Right. We get explained later what why they do this. Yeah. Or why they, whatever. Yeah. So Father Michael goes on and admits to wanting to see them naked in the showers and he would find reasons to go and watch them in the youth center. He also admits to approaching these boys. Certain ones. Vulnerable ones. He says he tries to resist the urge to touch but he is weak and he will like pat them on the back or hug them but he knows he wants more. Ugh. In Huang's office, Benson and Stabler are showing Huang the tapes. They ask him if this is considered a confession or a statement of intent. Huang says it's actually part of an aversion therapy, so the subject has to confess their fantasies, then the video is put on a loop and the subject has to masturbate to it while he's watching for 30 minutes, even past the point of climax. He has to like keep going. It's- no, he has to watch it for 30 minutes past the point of climax. So oh. he has to keep masturbating for 30 more minutes after he ejaculates so it's supposed to be painful it's behavior modification the fantasies are supposed to trigger pain instead of pleasure but it doesn't work nothing can change the sex offender's desires i firmly believe it is a sexual preference absolutely not acceptable because you have to have consent and a child cannot consent okay 100 percent but 100%. Like, these people can't be fixed. And the whole thing like, well, it's a sexual preference and that's why it's okay. Whatever their NAMLA thing is. No. Consent. Fuck nope. you, NAMLA. Absolutely no. not. Nope. Mm-mm. So to get more into the aversion therapy of it all. Mm-hmm. So an at-home version of aversion therapy is that thing where, you know, that pack of cigarettes a parent found in their kid's room on a 90s sitcom and makes them smoke a carton until they're sick. Yeah. Like that's or a whole th- the s- yeah. in the same through line, right? Right. Aversion therapy for this kind of thing has been studied and does not 
work. It also has mixed reviews for other types of treatment, such as yeah, treating was, addiction to drugs yeah. or alcohol or other habits. Mm-hmm. The shit was also used. This is the really egregious fucked up one. The LGBTQ. Yep. It was used to treat homosexuality, but in 1973, the APA removed homosexuality as a disorder from the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of mm-hmm. Mental Disorders due to no scientific evidence of it being a disorder because Mm -hmm. it's fucking not a disorder. Right. And this is a quote from a healthline.com article that I read, quote, some experts believe that using negative stimulus in aversion therapy is equal to using punishment as a form of therapy, which is unethical. Yeah. Duh. But yeah, to, to hit the whole sexual preference thing, if it involves another person or another being and there's no consent there. Yeah so fucking stupid. I fucking hate everything. Wong thinks that Father Michael is trying to control the desires that he's having. Mm -hmm. Wong compares it to being an alcoholic and staying away from alcohol. Yeah, I don't really think pedophilia and alcoholism is is parallel, but like Mm -hmm. I get what he's trying to say. Yeah, we can't K-hole on absolutely everything, but I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Pedophilia is in his fully own category, but I get what he's saying. It's just like he's trying to simplify it with something that is more relatable. Yeah. I guess. Juan goes on to say that Father Michael isn't a pedophile. He's an aphibophile, which means he likes adolescents, not children. Okay. Well, just like the detectives, they're like, okay, well, who fucking cares? And I'm like, yeah, who cares? Yeah. And did Juan get a fucking massive upgrade to his office? Because like, look at that fucking view, dude. Oh my God, I know. It was, (laughs) it is gorgeous. He has earned it too. There, yeah. Is this always been his office, and they're just actually at his place instead of him at theirs? I don't know, but he's like right on the lake. It's just just floor to ceiling windows. I mean, it's very distracting. Mm -hmm. So Benson and myself, we don't give a shit whether Father Michael's title is he's a pedophile or an aphibophile or a fucking whatever. They're still fucking kids, Mm -hmm. but can they prove it using the tape? Right. Okay. Now we're in the motherfucking office of Liz Badass Donnelly. I just can't never get enough of this bitch. Mm -hmm. She tells Craig and Cabot that no judge will ever let them take that tape to court. It's doctor patient privilege. She's like, you guys have nothing. All they have is Bobby's and Rikers suffering, obviously, from mental illness and a tape that they can't do anything with. And then Cragen has the fucking absolute fucking nuts to stand up out of his chair and says to Liz, quote, so your answer is to do nothing? Fucking this badass fucking bitch squares up to him and says, my answer is captain dramatic pause to step to him and put him in his place because they're in her office not his goddamn roller disco or whatever the hell (laughs) else is behind the fucking glass today (laughs) she says my answer captain unless i have bulletproof evidence i'm not gonna jump in the bandwagon to crucify the catholic church and i was like damn i was not expecting that Mm -hmm. because i would be like burn those fuckers to the ground is what i would think she would say yeah craigan says nearly 200 priests have been implicated in case of abuse so far and then she says which is less than half of one percent of the priests in the country cabot's like Kragen thinks he can fuck with donnelly this way i don't think so so she kind of steps in and she does this like double like look at them both like hold on um she says what we need is someone to corroborate bobby's story they need another victim benson stabler are back at the youth center talking to that one campion guy Mm -hmm. they want to talk to every boy between the ages of 11 through 15 who's had any contact with father michael campion's like you guys just have to talk to the parents Sabler wants to ask him some questions too. Sabler asks him if Father Michael paid any boy a lot of attention. Like anyone in particular. Yeah. Campion 
says no. And Stabler asks if any boys wanted to be near Father Michael. And Campion's like, yeah, all of them wanted to hang out with Father Michael. Stabler also asks if like anybody was acting weird. Campion says almost all of the boys act up and have mood swings because they're going through fucking puberty. Mm-hmm. Benson asks him if there's ever been any boys that have left abruptly or have been absent for a long time. Campion says the only one he can think of is Darius Ratafian. He left around the same time Father Michael left. Campion called his mom and she told him to leave Darius alone and hung up. So the answer to that is yes. At the Ratafian apartment, mom answers the door to Benson and Stabler and lets them in. Stabler sees a picture of Darius in an altar boy sheet. Yeah, he does the I'm a dad and can relate thing. Oh, I remember when a... Like it's a proud moment, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Benson asks mom why she pulled Darius out of the church youth club and she says that he just wasn't fitting in well. Stabler asked her if he had any contact with Father Michael or talked about him and she kind of just sighs and looks away and says, yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. oh, back at the church, Father Michael is leading a choir practice and Benson and Stabler walk in <laughs> and <laughs> scream his name from across <laughs> the fucking church. Yeah. And it's an empty fucking room. You know, it's a fucking Catholic church. So it's a gigantic room. Yeah. And he's up in the front, fucking Whoopi Goldberging, like, <laughs> you know, leading this church choir. And Stabler's like, Father Michael! From like the other side. And it's like, Michael, 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 Michael. Yeah. Michael's like, I heard the 20 foot tall, giant, solid wood door open. I know you're here. <laughs> anyway, Father Michael's confused, okay? Because Stabler goes up to him and after screaming his name across the room, whispers, we need you to come with us. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, um, are you going to have a normal volume of voice at any point here? Yeah. Stabler says, don't make us do this in front of them. I love how they give certain people the option of not being embarrassed. And other people, they yeah. literally throw into a pile of ducks or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what pile I mean? of ducks <laughs> or whatever at that restaurant. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Well, that guy was running pictured- away. Oh, like a hundred of those ducks? <laughs> I pictured, I pictured like they were at a park and Toots dove from the top of a building and was wearing a squirrel suit and just fucking <laughs> plowed into somebody. And then they flew into a bunch of ducks, which were being fed by some old man and his grandson. <laughs> they were all like, whack. Oh, how nice you that know. they're spending time together, though. I know they really needed it because grandpa's been an alcoholic for most of his life. <laughs> yeah. So Taylor's like, don't make us do this in front of them. And the church choir's still just, you know. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. That's Sister Act 2. Sister Act? Oh, the first one you mean? Mate amate intermarate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Keep going. Dominus. Okay. So fucking Father Michael Whisper asks Benson and Sidler. He's got the fucking audacity to say, um, am I under arrest? And they're like, yeah, for sexual abuse. But they say it really quiet. Yeah. They're like, come on, it's for sexual abuse. Shh. And they like let him be like, okay, gang, like take five. <laughs> In the court, Cabot's there, Father Michael and his lawyer. Rory O'Hanahan or whatever. <laughs> Father Michael pleads not guilty. Cabot wants 200000 for bail. Which I thought was like pretty fitting. It's not crazy. Well, no, I mean, like, I like that it was 200 k because that's what they were paying off the fucking families. Oh, yeah. Wink. Mm-hmm. So Father Michael's lawyer says that he has no assets because of his vow of poverty. Father Michael's lawyer was like, you can't give me lucky charms. 
<laughs> this guy's like, this is punitive. He can't afford to be bailed out. And Cabot says the church has more than enough money for bail. And I'm like, what the fuck are they even talking about? Mm-hmm. What a fucking crock of classism. When a regular person in poverty commits a crime, they would never call it punitive. Prove me fucking wrong. Right. They don't set up bail to make sure that you can fucking afford it. Right. Judge Seligman, a.k.a. Mustache Judge. Mm -hmm. The walrus one? Yeah. Okay. I think he's trimmed up his stash, though, because he looks a little more clean cut here. He wants to know why Cabot wants such a large bail with Father Michael having no priors. And she's like, um, because of his predatory shit with kids, he's deemed a flight risk. Even the Vatican said so. The church has been complicit with helping cover it up in the past. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the judge sets the bail at two hundred thousand dollars yep outside of the courthouse lawyer rory o'toole comes up to cabin he says he's not gonna make a deal and he'll take this to trial he says that father michael is innocent and cabot is like oh he is oh are you (laughs) (laughs) then why did the church pay off the families why did he get therapy to control his sexual desires and and this guy's like well there's explanations for that shit and cabot's like I look forward to hearing them. He threatens and says she better fucking prep her witnesses for an ugly cross-examination because he's going to make their lives very unpleasant, however young they are. And I was like, damn, dude. Cabot's like, the jury's going to hate that? (laughs) And he doesn't give a shit as long as it clears Father Michael. This dude is a fucking... I'm like, wow. Yeah. I'm going to break that kid in half. And you're like, fuck. No shit. He hops on his chariot of hellhounds and fucks off down the street. I hate him so much. Mm -hmm. Cabot, Darius, and his mom are in a talking room back at the precinct now. And they're going through the questions that she'll be asking. He's this little preteen with a tiny little voice. It's really hard to listen to. Mm -hmm. He says his first contact with Father Michael was after baseball. He'd come by the showers and talk. Darius says that Father Michael would put his arm around his shoulder or pat him on the back. Mm -hmm. And he gets upset a little bit when Cabot asked if he ever did anything else. His mom reassures him and he starts telling the same fucking story as Bobby Douglas. Mm -hmm. There's a knock on the door. It's Daddy Cragen. He calls Cabot to come out. In the squad room, Roy... (laughs) (laughs) That one was just for you. (laughs) In the squad room, Roy McGruber's there wanting to talk to Darius. She says, no. He hands her a file. He doesn't say what it is, and they clearly want us to be surprised, so we don't get to know, but she opens it up, and Craig and tells Rory Rory lawyers poorly that whatever is in there doesn't apply. <laughs> Rory, 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 Rory lawyers poorly. Oh, my God, I fucking lose so much. I love you. Craig and tells him whatever's in there doesn't apply to what the kid's telling them. And I'm like, ooh, what is it? Yeah. But he just looks at Cabot and says, why don't you ask Darius about Father Michael's television? So back in the talking room, Cabot asks Darius if they watched the videos on Father Michael's TV. He says yes. Cabot asks him when he watched the videos, did he notice anything unusual about them? And his mom's like, are you asking my child to judge porn? And Cabot's like, shut shut up shut up shut up (laughs) she was she just put her hand up and was like don't yeah (laughs) no cabot says was it like watching normal tv and he says yes she asks him if it was in color and he goes yeah what else is there 
her demeanor completely switches mm-hmm. and she goes fucking black and white. Cabot plops down the file to the mom. Father Michael has an old black and white TV. The mom goes, my son was abused. And Cabot says, Darius was abused at his school, nowhere near Father Michael. And you settled with the church for 50K. Mom goes, Father Michael molested him. And Cabot says, no, he didn't. Mm-hmm. You recycled those accusations when you and your son were questioned by the detectives. Then Cabot gets up to leave. Mom stands up and goes, oh, and you think your priest isn't guilty too? Darius will never forget what was done to him. No money will ever make up for that. Cabot says, and you would make him relive his trauma to get every penny you fucking can and slams the fucking door. Cabot is mad. Mm-hmm. She is mad. I mean, this bitch is wasting his time. I, I, My heart breaks for the mom and the son because it, I had to go back and watch it again because yeah. I'm like, so was he a victim? He was a victim. But not but by- He wasn't a victim of Father Michael. Yeah. They took that money mm-hmm. to shut up. In the squad room, Cabot tells Benson and Stabler that the details of Darius's abuse were true, being alone with a priest, videos being molested, mom sued, a priest was defrocked, and the church settled. Stabler says, if someone abused my son, I'd do more than sue them. And we're like, we know! <laughs> okay? No, Stabler. Yeah. So, now all they have is Bobby Douglas. Daddy Cragen walks up and says, not anymore. Ooh, Cragen with the timing. I know. All we have is Bobby Douglas. He pops out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> he fucking... Boop. He was waiting. He's like double dutching, like, waiting for his like, in. Fuck, I've been here for three hours. When were you guys going to come in here? Well, all we have is Bobby Douglas. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore! <laughs> okay, so now we're at Rikers Island. Stabler walks into Bobby's cell. He's- um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now we're at Rikers Island 10 days after Gabe's birthday. Go. Oh my God, thank you. I didn't even notice that. <sighs> I was taking my notes and it said May 13th and there was nary a note about your birthday in sight and I could not believe it. That's weird. And I thought, do I even do it? Of course you do. (laughs) But I love you. So here you go. Let me too. I don't have to like it to love you (laughs) and let you love it. Stabler walks into Bobby's cell and he's dead. Stabler sees something weird about his hand. I guess they'll let us know what's going on later with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he just picks up his floppy dead hand and yeah. is like, oh. And we're like, what? So Father Michael is being released back on the street and Stabler is waiting around the corner at this fucking scene. <laughs> I'm like, how many buses <laughs> are there? <laughs> Stapler tells him that Bobby was placed with a lifer named Dale Farrelly. Bobby kept trying to tell Dale how much Jesus loved him, so Dale stabbed him 57 times. (laughs) The problem is Bobby had no defensive wounds on him. That's what he was fucking looking at. That's what it was. Yeah. Stapler is very in Father Michael's face at this point and yelling, that boy had given up, not a single cut on his fingers or arms. Maybe you think he deserved it because he killed a trans woman, you know, for killing the trans woman. Jamie, remember her, everybody? She was beginning of this. Right. And everybody misgendered her and disrespected her terribly. And we were all just like, (laughs) yeah, 2002. Yeah. Father Michael says, no, Bobby was a victim. And Stapler said, who's victim? Come on, Father, you and me. No badge. No collar father michael says what do you want me to tell you Taylor shoves him against the first bus and says bobby's dead you're free as a bird be a man confess to me father michael's like okay i abused bobby and Taylor says how and he says i took him to my room and great gave him some beer and made him have sex with me what about the videos? And Father Michael says, yes, we watch videos to get us in the mood. Where? And he's just like rifling off these questions. He says, I told yeah. you in my room. And Sabler asks him when they went to the quote, lair. Father Michael pauses 
and Stabler's not having it. He's like, tell me what you told the boys about how they go in like lambs and come out like lions. Father Michael keeps pausing. Stabler says, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And Stabler knew it from the beginning of accusing him. And you could tell Father Michael's like, yeah, I fucking, I did it. He's fucking covering for somebody. Yeah. And Father Michael says, somebody must do penance for Bobby. Stabler says, oh yeah, but it ain't you, is it? Those therapy sessions, is that all fiction too? And Father Michael says, that was real. (laughs) Stabler shoves him against a bus again. Another bus. Another bus. And he's like, give me the name of the boys you abused. And Father Michael says, there are no names. I've controlled my desires. I've kept every one of my vows. Poverty chastity obedience Stabler wants to know why Bobby accused him then and Father Michael said it was because Bobby came to him for help and he didn't protect him I'm like getting really into this Jesus Mm -hmm. Father Michael says he left the school out of shame for what he failed to do Stabler keeps grabbing him and shoving up against multiple buses (laughs) so Stabler has him up against this bus he's like you failed to save him from another priest right Stabes wants this priest's name but Father Michael can't give it to Stabler because the priest confessed Stabler is fucking pissed and he's like you priests fucking suck I mean he didn't say that but it's like yeah you priests fucking suck and confess to each other and forgive each other and go back and do it again and Father Michael says I'm sorry Stabler says go to hell and leaves then run back and throws him against another bus just kidding <laughs> You just you, you just hear like, ah! <laughs> like <"Go!" laughs> Stabler telling Father Michael to go to hell. Big deal I for mean, Stabs. Telling me to go to hell does absolutely nothing. It does nothing. Changes my blood pressure. Not one point. I'm like, okay, 1992 calls. Unless yeah. they're whack ass fucking comeback. No, no, no. Saying it to a priest when you're super Catholic is probably the. He was probably sitting there going, I'm gonna tell him to go to hell. I'm gonna. In the back of his mind, he's like, I'm gonna say it. If I get mad enough, I'm gonna fucking say it. Ooh, it's too bad that Father Michael didn't have a bus to faint on. <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh my fainting bus <laughs> oh my fainting bus <laughs> I can't breathe where's my fainting bus <laughs> in Cragen's office Stabler tells Benson Cabot and Cragen that Father Michael is covering for another priest Cabot says no court will force him to break the seal of confession which is super fucked up and I yeah. hate it mm-hmm <laughs> Cragen wants them to look at the 96 case again, the one with the four boys, including Bobby. The priest must have been at St. Tom's. They've got to check the staff and see if any payments were made and subpoena any records or bank accounts. Cabot doesn't know what grounds they have to do this. And Benson suggests Rico. Yeah. And I assumed you Googled that, Tasha. I did. Rico. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not going to well, do it. Tasha's going to do it. Yeah, and I knew a little bit about Rico just because it was created for the mafia. So Rico is a federal charge, so they could nail them for something. Rico deals with civil litigation and stands for racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations. Mm -hmm. It's basically an umbrella term over criminal activities like kidnapping, murder, embezzlement, money laundering, anything else you can think of usually applying to the mafia. Mm -hmm. So I got this quote from the Legal Encyclopedia on NOLO.com. Quote, to convict a defendant under Rico, the government must prove that the defendant engaged in two or more instances of racketeering activity and that the defendant directly invested in, maintained an interest in, or participated in a criminal enterprise affecting interstate or foreign commerce. The Mm -hmm. law has been used to prosecute members of the mafia, 
the Hells Angels Motorcycle Gang, and Operation Rescue, an anti-abortion group, among many others. I was reading this article where the Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel said this in 2019, quote, some of the things I've seen in the files makes your blood boil, to be honest with you. When you're investigating gangs or the mafia, we would call some of this conduct a criminal enterprise. She was referring to the fucking Catholic Church. Yeah. So without saying it, she's calling the Catholic Church a criminal enterprise. Why can't this is the thing. Why can't you just say it? If like they're doing that stuff, they are that whether they're a church or not. Like, what does that have to do with anything? I think it's all politics. The whole thing is bananas. But anyway, back to the show and why they're talking about this. What they're saying is that Rico is a way to charge those who aided in covering shit up. And Mm. this is me speculating to circumvent their own made up church laws like confession privacy and shit. Yeah. How that shit holds up in court. She said no judge is going to make them break out. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah, it's not even law. Like, oh my God, it's fucking nuts. So this is that whole, I mean, we could dive so fucking deep. We could get the bends coming back up from (laughs) talking about the separation of church and state. That was good. Every time I mention the bends with deep diving, you're you're always like, that was good. I've done it before. It is. I just always, whenever I talk about a deep dive, I always think about coming up too fast. You got that bubbly blood. (laughs) <laughs> so that's what Rico is. That's what Benson's suggesting. And I'm sure Cabot can fucking do something with it. Okay. In the chambers of Judge Linden, Cabot and Rory O'Hooligan are there. He's that he's that fucking you guys know. Yeah. The judge is super wary of this whole Rico thing. He says that the church is always totally cool about handing over records of abuse without subpoenas. And Cabot's like <laughs> Only when it suits them. And, um, yeah, no, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. <laughs> Only yesterday, Mr. O'Halloran showed me a secret settlement the diocese made with the family of a 14-year-old boy. How many more of these are there? Rory or Shanahan says, they'll hand over any... <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> Won't stop. It's okay. <laughs> Rory O'Shanahan says that they'll hand over any files about abuse, but one in the bank accounts is way overreaching. Kevin says that the accounts will show how the church has paid people off and it is a direct violation of RICO and basically compares the church to a corrupt organization like the fucking mob. The judge agrees and, and yeah. grants the subpoena. So in the squad room, the whole fucking gang is looking through the many, 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 many payoffs to families. Fucking Bishop Mallison signed the checks. Stabler is like, what? So Mallison, we met, remember in the beginning? And Stabler's like, my grace, or whatever. Yeah. So this cover-up went straight to the top. Mallison was a fucking visiting Latin teacher three times a week at St. Thomas. It's him! Oh, my God. Father Michael is lighting some candles in a robe. He must be about to take a bubble bath. (laughs) He's actually in the fucking rectory. I so, so I I read your notes ahead when I got to that scene, and I assumed he would be in a terry cloth robe in a bathroom. And I'm like, what are they doing? No, he's in his fucking priest wear, lighting candles at the goddamn church. <laughs> priest active wear. <laughs> You hear Stabler's voice say, I know who you're protecting. I need to know what he told you. And then he shoves him up against a bus that was just randomly in the church. <laughs> Stabler kneels at the altar, does the Trinity hand sign thing, and asks Father Michael why he became a priest. Father Michael says, to serve God in his church. Stabler says, that includes the boys that were abused. Father Michael says he's serving the boys to the best of his abilities without breaking the sacraments. Stabler tells him that all he's really doing is protecting a priest who literally said he was abusing children. Father Michael says he promised me he would get treatment. And Stabler says 
But then he came back and confessed the same sin all over again and again, and you absolved him. All because you are bound by your sacrament. Silence is a sin, Father. Father Michael says, I cannot break the seal, not to defend my own name, not to save my own life, not to save anyone else's life. I have to protect the penitent. And Sealer says, what of the faithful, Father? Who protects us? You can see Father Michael is like kind of torn up about all this. Yeah, because he knows it's fucked. And he says, what about my vows? This type of thing is accepted. I don't don't care what the rules are. If it's hurting anyone, it's wrong. The end. And you're not yep. going to convince me otherwise. And again, that's not an insult to your personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Stabler says, what about the children? Exactly. What about the children? Ugh. All right. Outside of the church, Stabler calls to a bishop standing outside in front of a Virgin Mary statue. Mm-hmm. This bishop is actor Patrick Collins, and he plays Mr. Papadopoulos in a movie called Batshit Bride. And I just, it means nothing, but it means everything. He also comes back to SVU in 2009, season 10, episode 11, Stranger. So we will see him again. But for, for this episode, he's Bishop fucking molester, okay? Mm-hmm. Stabler is with Father Michael, and they're like sneaking up on this guy in the garden. Bishop turns around and eyeballs the shit out of Michael because Stabler says, I need to ask you some questions about some statements you made to Father Michael in 1996 relating to sexual acts that you forced on various boys. And the guy's like, oof, um, what's shared in the confession stays in the confession. Vegas. (laughs) And the bishop turns to Michael and says, do you know what you've done? You'll be expelled from the priesthood. You'll be cast out of the church, barred from the sacrament. You're risking your soul. What? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, like how come molesting children doesn't get you cast from the church or risk your soul? Like what the fuck is this? And Father Michael fucking stands up to the bishop and he goes, I believe I'm saving it. Mm -hmm. Stabler looks at the bishop and goes, how could you do this? And the fucking bishop hangs his head. He's getting all like, oh, this is it. I'm, I'm caught now. He says, I couldn't help myself. Father Michael puts his little hand on the bishop's shoulder and I get it. Like you're fabulously compassionate and that's wonderful, but also fuck this guy. And can you help me? Like, fuck you. You sit and judge everybody fucking up. Mm -mm. No, fuck you. Fuck you. And that's it. And that's it. That's the end of season three. Just we're angry. (laughs) They were like, Hey, we're gonna, um, trash the shit out of one of the biggest religions in the world. And then we're going to take a little break. Bye. (laughs) SVU. Yeah. And I'm like, damn it, I can't say anything because I fucking have to respect people. And this is bullshit. I'm going to tell you about the Archdiocese of Boston sexual abuse scandal. Okay? Okay. Okay. The super accurate 2016 movie Spotlight, so fucking good, is based on it. Fucking Mark Ruffalo, yes. Rachel McAdams, honey. Michael Keaton, okay, Beetlejuice. Like, it was such a good fucking movie. <laughs> and I never really deep dove on the Spotlight team. So I was able to do that and then look back into just the details about this awful, terrible shit. I've never seen Spotlight. Oh. <gasps> So I fucking hate child abuse shit, and you know that. But Mm -hmm. I was like, God, fucking Mark Ruffalo and Michael Keaton. Like, oh, I have to watch this. Mm -hmm. And I just bit the bullet was like i'm fucking watching it i don't care and i did and it is so good it's got 97 percent on rotten tomatoes 
It's such a good movie, but it's, it's, I mean, it's hard. like the subject matter is one of the worst fucking things that exists. So, okay. So it's July of 2001. This team of Boston journalists start looking into attorney Mitchell Garabedian. I, before I forget, can I tell you something real quick? Yeah. That Kevin Bacon movie I was talking about, uh-huh. it's called Sleepers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 96. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this lawyer is saying that the Archbishop of Boston, Cardinal Bernard Francis Law, knew about a Boston priest, Father John Gagan, abusing kids. He knew it and didn't do anything to stop it. So this is just the beginning because these journalists, they just start, they're like looking into this one thing like, oh, what's this about? They start pulling on this thread and find a huge web of a scandal involving abuse and cover-ups of abuse. The team at the Boston Globe, which is made up of four journalists, Robbie Robinson, Michael Rosario, Zendez, Sasha Pfeiffer, and Matt Carroll find that not only was this widespread, but it had been going on for decades. Let's talk a little bit about what the Spotlight team uncovered in regards to Father John Gagan. Okay. John Joseph Gagan was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1935. As an Irish Catholic, he grew up attending parochial schools and went on to the Cardinal O'Connolly Seminary to become a priest and was ordained in 1962. His first assignment was as assistant pastor at Blessed Blessed Sacrament Parish in in Saugus, Massachusetts. I may not be pronouncing the city right. Saugus, Soggy, and Soggy Mass. Uh, (laughs) That was my nickname in high school. (laughs) I saw you choking. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Soggy Mass. (laughs) Gagan was known to be high-spirited and charming. Kids loved him. He organized sports teams and worked with the altar boys and everyone just thought he was fucking great. Mm -hmm. He wasn't there long before another priest, Anthony Benzevich, noticed shit that he did not like. Gagan would regularly take kids to the rectory and privately meet with them for long periods of time. In a 1998 interview with the Patriot Ledger, Benzevich said this, quote, they would come out in various states of undress. He would put his jacket over them and say he was trying to show them how to be little priests. Oh, God. When Benzevich reported this to church officials, he was called a troublemaker and higher ups hinted at sending him to Peru if he kept talking about it. Eventually, Benzevich quit the priesthood to get married and become a mailman, which is amazing because my friend's dad did the same exact thing. Hmm. He said that his experience in seeing what Gagan got away with was significant in his choice to leave the church. When all was said and done in 1995, Gagan admitted to molesting four boys at Blessed Sacrament, even though there were at least 11 who came forward from that church, including single mother of four young boys, Joanne Mueller. She testified that Gagan befriended her and quickly became a regular fixture in her home, taking mm. the boys for ice cream, bathing them, and putting them to bed at night. When she learned of the ongoing abuse from one of her youngest, it was confirmed by her three others. One even told her, quote, we couldn't tell you because father said it was a confessional. She was told by Reverend Paul Miscelli that Gagan would never be a priest again and to just keep it to herself, that it would be handled. Over the next 30 years, Gagan would be shuffled around to five more parishes. He was just moved. Why did the, why does the church even want to deal with that shit? Like, I don't why do they know. Wa- I have no idea. I have no idea what the only thing I can come up with is that priesthood is sacred. So over the next 30 years, there was a very clear pattern of Gagan grooming families, usually from lower socioeconomic groups. Mm-hmm. He would get caught abusing their kids. The church would minimize his actions, move him, and not inform the new parish of Gagan's past. Mm-hmm. He would then be free again to use the new parish as hunting grounds. 
Mm-hmm. He would head up youth groups, altar boys, and mentor young boys and vulnerable families. Sometimes when new allegations would arise, Gagan would be placed on, quote, sick leave and be sent to a treatment facility where he would undergo counseling, psychoanalysis, and psychotherapy. He would always be released and put back on assignment. Mm-hmm. Over those 30 years in six parishes, Gagan was accused of sexual abuse by over 130 boys, the youngest being four years old. Hmm. When I was reading that, I fucking gasped. Not because it's out of the realm of possibility, but because I was so fucking disturbed by it. Yeah. Gagan retired at 58 in 1993 and moved to the Regina Clary residence for retired priests in Boston, but ended up back in treatment in 1996 after more allegations surfaced. Gagan was defrocked by Pope John Paul II in 1998, which means he's no longer allowed to exercise sacred ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it does not take away your priesthood, I guess. Oh, it is. Well, because they he's just not, he's just not allowed to work. It, yeah. Like if some, I kept reading about it because it was interesting. He's not allowed to exercise sacred ministry as in he can't bless things and he can't do the thing that makes sure you go to heaven or whatever. Unless somebody like if there's a car accident and he comes upon it, he's allowed to do that. Like, what is that called when somebody is dying oh, and then they have a priest come in? The last rites. Yeah. Last you rites. can't do that if you're defrocked. But if it's an emergency, you can't. I mean, I might, I could be wrong, but this is something I read about it. They consider ordainment to be of God, to be like given by God, but like being a priest is like the technical man given part of it or Mm -hmm. the, um, like the, the tasks. So Mm -hmm. that can be taken away, but not the ordainment anyway, but you're not called a priest anymore. It's a whole thing. Now, remember the dude among many others, but the dude that the whole spotlight thing started with was the archbishop of Boston, Cardinal Bernard Francis Law. He knew all of this and was one of the ones putting Gagan back in circulation and ignoring the severity of what was happening to these kids. Mm -hmm. So the Spotlight team published their findings in an expose as soon as 2002 hits. January 6th, the article is titled Church Allowed Abuse by Priest for Years. It's published along with a link to all of the documents proving that the Cardinal Bernard Law knew about it. In the weeks following the publication of the article, over 300 Boston area victims came forward. The Spotlight team also like opened up their phones. and They're like, hey, if you know of anything about this or if you've experienced this, call us. And their phones were ringing off the fucking hook. Jesus. It's awful. Cardinal Bernard Francis Law resigned December 13th, 2002. The Spotlight team went on to publish 600 more articles about the scandal. They even won the Boston Globe the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service for all of their work exposing this shit. Hooray, but no. Bernard Law was later fucking promoted to Archpriest of the the Basilica di Santa Margaro in Rome. I am butchering what that's called, but he's dead now, so. Good. Fucking good. What happened to Gagan? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'll tell you. After the initial article dropped, Gagan was prosecuted in Cambridge, Massachusetts for molestation charges from 1991. He was found guilty on February 21st, 2002 of indecent assault and battery and sentenced to nine to 10 years in prison. Gagan was being held in protective custody at Salza Baranowski Correctional Center in Lancaster, Massachusetts. His cellmate was Joseph Druce, a man in prison for life for murder, who had allegedly been planning to attack Gagan. On August 21st, 
23, 2003, just after lunch, Drews followed Gagan into their shared cell, jamming the cell door behind him. Drews bound and gagged Gagan, strangled him with a bedsheet, and then proceeded to jump repeatedly from the top bunk on top of Gagan's motionless body. Whoa. By the time guards were able to pry the door open, the damage was done. John J. Gagan was pronounced dead at 1.17 p.m. Instigated by the initial Spotlight article, in 2003, the church settled over 500 claims of abuse, totaling $85 million. Because this shit went well beyond Gagan, okay, there was tons. This shit isn't an unsubstantiated trope. I read so much more about the culture of this in the Catholic Church, and it's not only infuriating, it's alarming. It's thousands of priests and deacons. It's tens of thousands of victims. I mean, the church has made some, not close to enough, but some progress, including streamlining the process for removing abusive priests, extending the statute of limitations on being tried in the church court, Mm -hmm. requiring that sex abuse cases be reported to Rome. But that doesn't do shit when the punishment is fucking defrocking and these dudes get released as civilians. Again, everything's linked in here. If you have any desire to go deeper on this, just read some of this shit. It's it's fucking bananas. So these guys in the court, in the church court, it's like the worst thing that can happen is they get fucking defrocked as a priest. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're, they're no longer a part of working in the church as a priest. And these dudes get released as civilians. That is a whole other issue of a huge number of abusers that go on to work in places like community centers, family mm-hmm. shelters for domestic abuse, fucking Disney World. They adopt and foster children. Some will continue in different positions in the church or simply leave the country and go somewhere where they can regain, quote, good standing in the church and continue on with their priesthood. That That's it. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck this. See you in season four. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's wild is what it is. It's 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 wild. It's bananas and it's like a fucking late night cold open joke, you know? Everybody talks about it and everybody knows about it and it's like and it fucking continues. It's just a lot. And this is what's so disturbing about it. These are men in a position of trust, mm-hmm. respect. There's a power dynamic there. I mean, that's whatever. I'm not going to get into that. But these are supposed to be the most trusted people in all of our communities. In yeah. every community. You're the worst. <laughs> like, fuck you. You're the yeah. worst. Yep. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> well, that was the end of season three. That was a real ride. Yeah. This was a good season. It was a great season. It was quite the roller coaster. Now we're at the end of the roller coaster and Yeah, no, yeah, we're pulling back up to the thing and my, my tummy hurts a little bit. I'm kinda hungry. I don't know, you know. And then there's a gap in the rails and we fall to our death. <laughs> when we come back, we'll be at season four, episode one, Chameleon. Benson and Stabler investigate the death of a sex worker, but then find that their main suspect has in turn been killed. Is the woman who shot him acting in self-defense or is she a murderer? Fucking hope so. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is Eileen Warnell's shit. I already looked into it and it 100% is based on her. So we're going to kick off season four with an incredible fucking episode. It's going to be great. Follow us on Instagram at svupod. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Please join the Elite Squad on Facebook because because I fucking live for that. And I troll Tasha all the time. SVU pod, elite squad. Yeah. yeah. It's basically just like, talk about the episodes, talk about different things going on in this universe and Gabe to troll me with fucking bird content. <laughs> and I hate it. I love it. <laughs> um. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
Okay, so you guys know how hard it is for us to take a break. We're so pumped to start season four, but until then... Yeah, we won't be taking a longer break. Like we It's not going to be like the break between two and three. Yeah. Just so you guys know, there's plenty of stuff on the Patreon. In the meantime, on the Patreon, there are two main things that we do. One is the Friendship Boat episode on the first Tuesday of every month. That's a fucking free-for-all. We tell stories. We have guests. We play games. We talk about all kinds of shit. Sometimes we get drunk. <laughs> We've gotten drunk. Yeah. <laughs> we also have our garbage cookie episodes. I want to release one of those in the, in the coming weeks, just so you guys can get a better idea of what that is. What's a garbage cookie episode? Mm. When we record, part of it turns into basically a FaceTime conversation between the two of us. We'll talk about what we're doing. We'll give each other updates on our lives. We'll get into the show, but we'll get sidetracked immediately on random shit. Yeah. Sometimes we go on like long rants about certain things in this show, but we can't, we don't have enough time to fit it all in. Right. There's garbage cookie episodes that are 10 minutes longer. There are garbage cookie episodes that are 40 minutes longer. It really depends on what we get off track on. Sometimes it's a huge deep dive or we'll look something up in the middle of it and then realize we've gotten into like eight different subjects and it doesn't apply and we have to get back to the show. Yeah. On our first tier, Pod Pals, you get the Friendship Boat and the first garbage cookie of the month. On our second tier, Dedicated Detectives, you get the Friendship Boat and the first two garbage cookies of every month, among other things. And in the top mm-hmm. tier, that's our elite squad. That's who we shout out at the end of the pod. Mm-hmm. You're going to get that friendship boat and every single garbage cookie. Every little crumb. Every little nibble of that garbage cookie. And you also get a personalized video of us, basically. Oh, yeah. you get. Th- there's a ton of extra other stuff. There's merch discounts. The elite squad, get they all get a personalized video, among all of the other benefits. After three months, you get merch that's only available to the elite squad. Mm-hmm. So don't miss out on all the inside jokes and extra content that you can find on the Friendship Boat and the Garbage Cookies. So you guys will be able to check it out over the break because we're going to put a couple things out. And if you're into it, join us on the Patreon. We fucking love the support. So. Yeah. Also, can you guys just email us some more ghost stories just for me? Oh, Jesus Christ. Shut up, Tasha. (laughs) (laughs) You love it, too. Mm. Tasha's slamming a beer right now. She's wasted. I don't hate it, but I... (laughs) What? It's coffee. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's my regular nitro cold brew that I drink. Not the stuff that John brews that... Well, listen to that friendship boat. I ended up talking to John later and being like, I think it was the coffee. And he was like, oh, yeah, I fucking my it's highly caffeinated. That shit is like oh, twice yeah. as strong. I'm like, um, I know. Tell that to my pants and the trash in the garage. <laughs> oh, fuck. I said I wasn't going to talk about this on the regular shit. Okay, whatever. Thanks for joining us for season three. We love you guys. Oh, and we'll be back April 12th with season four. If you are a patron, don't worry, because we're still going to be putting shit out on Patreon. Yeah. Beep, boop, boop. Love Love you, bye. bye. (laughs) I get something every time we do that. Hold on, I'm coming up with something. Hold on, I'm coming. (laughs) (laughs) Real quick, and I'm done. No, like. (laughs) Your mouth. (laughs) You're like. I got the blood bubbles. I got the blood bubbles. Big so, blood bubbles. Big Bob's bacon burger. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
West Covina, <laughs> California. I've been binging again so hard. It is, I mean, if there was ever a show that was worth a fucking rewatch. Yeah. I might it's... turn around and start it over again after I watch it. Yeah. I'm like, I need to memorize all of it. There's so many good fucking one-liners in that show. I know. It's like such a, it's, yeah, it's so good. Love you. Love you. Worth it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, to our Elite Squad patrons. Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, fucking Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elky H, Sarah A, Annie fucking G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew. <laughs> Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Eliza W, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Katrina C, Kate H, Uyanga, Nicole R, Julia P, <laughs> Sapphire, Kayla, Allison B, Shirani, Shy R. <laughs> I can't. Is Shirani? Is Shirani from SNL? Shirani. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then she would leave. He'd be like quiet rapping. And then she, he would leave, and he'd be like sucking on my dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> remember? Yeah. Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Daniel W, and Angela D. We love you and appreciate you, and thank you so much for supporting oh, us. Oh, you guys, you're the best, the best. Oh my uh, god, have I even? Have I? John always thought that the lyrics to that were because it's it's from Karate Kid, and it's like you're the best around. No one's ever gonna put you down. Yeah. And uh, John always thought it was you're the best, the best. And what? I kept making up more lyrics for him. Yeah. He said it one time when I was like, boo, 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 boo. I was singing it and he's like, the best. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. We need to pause. We're not going to talk about a goofy movie right now. We're going to talk about you. <laughs> so I always try to make up new words for it. So like I'll walk by him and I'll be like, you're the best, the best. You're so much better than the rest. And I just make up my own words. <laughs> okay. See you in season four. Eee! That's it. That's it. I don't want to go. <laughs> oh my god, let's just stay here on mic until season four. Oh my god, I'm. So, I, oh my god, I stay. I stay in this room and I grow a giant beard and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like Rumple, what is it called? Rip Van Tasha. Rip Van. Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rip Van. Rip Van Tasha. Get it to plan words. <laughs> It's stupid. I was thinking about it wasn't as cute as that because I was like, yeah, I can get a five gallon bucket and pee in the corner. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go about my life like a normal person. Okay. Bye. See you in season four. I'm, I don't want to talk to you until then. Uh, can you imagine? I'll be so terrible. Oh my God. Never. I love you. I'll call you in five minutes. Okay. Bye. <laughs>